Ecclesiastes first. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you flip open about to the middle of your Bible, um, there's a big section of Psalms and it's just a little bit after that. We're going to chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Verse 1. Nice hush when we found that. All right, so Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 1 to 11. All right. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Uh, we're going to read another, another chunk from 1 Peter, chapter 1. It's right towards the end of your Bibles. 1 Peter, chapter 1, we're reading verse 3 to 6. So right after the book of James, 1 and 2 Peter. Chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This, in this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, 
though now for a little time you may have to have you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials so last time uh, in our series on idolatry now we might I think you might need a tiny bit more light maybe to see your Bibles there, so we might get that on a little bit, if you can't see. All right. You guys know Owen Wilson? Yeah, okay, wow. I didn't expect that sort of response. If you don't, he's the guy from the memes. Wow, wow. Um, Lots of people would say, or at least people used to say probably, that Owen Wilson is a guy who has it all. He's rich, he's famous, he's popular. He's, he's pretty good looking, kinder, but he's got a funny nose. Um, what? But, but check out this news article from a few years ago. Listen to this. The hospitalisation this week, this is a long time ago, so no panicking. The hospitalisation this week of Owen Wilson after police responded to a report of a suicide attempt at his Santa Monica home astonished anyone who knows him simply as the affable blonde man-child from wedding crashes and you, me and Dupree. To outsiders, Wilson's partying seemed to be of the happy-go-lucky nature, nobody gets hurt variety. While other stars got um, drunken driving fines, Wilson always appeared to have a ride home with one of his cool actor brothers or some other blonde, pretty, rich and famous person like Kate Hudson. When he wasn't busy filming blockbuster comedies that played off his lovable slacker image, Wilson's life, as documented by the magazines, consisted of tossing a football at the beach, riding his scooter alongside his dog Garcia and dating whatever impossibly beautiful woman he ever wanted to. That's a guy who most people would say, he's got it together, he has it all. Um, But he found himself in a place where he was so unhappy, he attempted to commit suicide. He tried to take his own life. Why is it that people who seem to be having a lot of fun in life often end up some of the saddest people you'll ever meet? I don't know if you've ever been kind of let down by fun yourself. You spend weeks waiting for that party or that holiday, and you kind of pin all your hopes on it, and you're like, this is going to be good. When that happens, I'm going to be so happy. It's going to be so good. I'm never going to come down from the high. But then it's it's just done, and it's over. It was great while it was there, but it's gone just as quick. And so then you wait for the next thing, and you're like, okay, reload. We'll try again. I'm going to get excited about this thing that's coming up. And so you're pumped, you're waiting, and it's coming, and it's coming, and coming. Um, But eventually it happens, and it's over. And you're just kind of left feeling pretty empty. I think the reason that this happens again and again to us is this. If you just enjoy fun for what it is, there's a little bit of fun, a bit of temporary fun, then it's good and it's fine and that's, that's all good. But if you make fun into an idol, if you make it into your God, if you put your trust in it, pin all your hopes on it, live for it, it'll always let you down in the end. Fun makes a lousy God. The idol of pleasure will always leave you wanting more. Like, like an itch that you can't scratch, you'll find yourself empty and lost in the end. Now guys, God's word has got some big stuff for us tonight. It's got some huge stuff in it. It's going to dig around in our hearts and in, in, in kind of poke us in some places that we want to protect and we want to say, hey, get out of there, God's word. This is my, leave me alone. Uh, there's some big stuff we're going to see tonight. So we're going to pray in just a minute. Before we do, can someone just 
turn that fan off for me because it's just blowing everything over here. Um, and then we're going to pray. So someone jump up, turn off the fan. And then we'll pray. All right, let's pray. A leader, please help this very generous child. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, dude. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this week we've spent in your word. Father, we pray now that you would quieten our hearts, give us energy, give us the ability to concentrate, focus our minds, and go to work on our hearts. Father, I pray please that we'd see big things in your word tonight, that you'd challenge us and grow us to be more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the person we're going to look at tonight is a guy called King Solomon. And this was a guy who really knew how to party. King Solomon pursued the idol of pleasure. He was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. And the book of Ecclesiastes, which Derek just read for us, is like one giant social experiment about life. He wants to know what the meaning of life is. He's like, I've got to figure this out. I'm going to work out what the meaning of life is. And you need to know this about Solomon. He was a guy who had pretty much everything. Everything he wanted, he got it. He was that sort of a guy, and he has everything. And so he's like, well, I'm just going to try everything and see if I can work out what the point of life is. And one of the places he does that is he looks for meaning in life in pleasure. So you've got a guy who's got every opportunity for pleasure imaginable, and he's going to try and figure out whether it's going to give meaning. Here's his summary in verses 1 and 2. He said, I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? So he's pretty upfront. Let's try out pleasure, and he gives you the results straight away. Turns out it was meaningless. But he gives us a whole bunch of details of all the things he tried, and it's pretty cool. He has a lot of stuff that he kind of gives himself to. Verse 3, he gives drinking a crack, drinking and partying. Look at verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So he goes, goes for it with drinking. Um, now, I'm really sorry, I keep adjusting all our fans. Those fans are blowing smoke into our room, so let's turn them the other way and blow smoke out of the room, and that'll be great. So we'll do that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Thanks for your help. All right. He gives drinking a crack. Imagine getting all the drink you could possibly want. Imagine all the alcohol you could ever want in your life is just there. He's so rich that it's like he's got an endless tab, which is free drinks, just in his lounge room. And he's the king, so no one's going to call him on it and be like, hey, you can't drink all day. So he's like, let's just try that. Let's try a little drink and see if it makes me happy. Uh, but it doesn't work in the end. You'll see at the end it doesn't work. And so next he's like, what if I just tried crazy good hobbies, just all the mad hobbies in the world. Um, and so he goes for it. He builds a bunch of epic stuff. Look at verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Um, I made reservoirs of water and groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and other slaves who were born in my house. He, he builds all this crazy stuff. Just to, I just need to check. Are we doing okay with smoke? Is it kind of... Choking us, are we all right? Okay, cool. If you need to, we can close those doors. Just take initiative and do what you've got to do to make sure we're doing okay. All right. He's like, all right, I'm going to build a bunch of stuff and it's going to be heaps good. Um, you know that sense of satisfaction you get when you're building a really good sandcastle and you kind of like plan it out and you plan it on the ground 
and then you slowly bring it into, you design it, you shape it out of nothing, and then it's there, and you've got this amazing sandcastle. Just picture that small sense of accomplishment, and then imagine what it would be like to be the guy who's designing palaces and buildings and gardens and even entire cities. That would be pretty fun. That would be pretty good, but it doesn't bring him meaning. And what about this? What about if you were just filthy, filthy, just full-on rich? I mean, we've talked about greed this week, so you probably know the answer. But look at, look at how rich he is in verse 7. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well as the a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in all this, my wisdom still stayed with me. He got real rich. Do you guys know how Michael Jackson used to go shopping? I hope you know who Michael Jackson is. Is this guy? He's a bit weird. Um, he used to go shopping like this. He'd call ahead, book out the shopping center, and be like, clear that place out. Don't have to hang out with people I don't know. I want to walk through the shops on my own. And so he's walking through the shops on his own, and he's like, this is pretty good. Uh, yep, I'll take that TV, I'll take those shoes, I'll take that jacket. This is a weird shop, they're all in the one place, I don't know why. I don't know what shoes, jacket and TV store this is. And he's walking around just saying, I'll take that, I'll take, I'll take that glove, just the one, I just want one, I don't need two. And he's just walking around and he's just pointing at stuff, right? And then he'd go home from the shops, this is true, I didn't make this up. And at the end of the day, the people that he's used all his money to employ would just grab all that stuff, pay for it and bring it back to his mansion. Hectic, right? So rich. That's Solomon. He, he'd click his fingers, what he wanted, he'd get it as soon as they could. Uh, and it wasn't just the stuff that he bought. His money brought him all this entertainment as well. It says he's got all these singers. You know, we, we get excited when we get entertained. We go to like a music gig and we catch a show by Ed Sheeran or something like that, hear some good tunes. But imagine being able to be like, not go to the show with a bazillion people all sweaty near. Just be like, hey, Ed, here's a bunch of money. I want you to follow me around and just play some good music for me. Give us, like, uh, not that Castle on the Hill song. That's a bit boring. I'm a bit over that. Give me something old with a bit of soul. And he's just, like, following you around, playing his music for you all day, and you're just throwing money at him, and he's just doing it because he's really into his money, right? Like, it's incredible how rich, how much this guy Solomon had. And, and it wasn't just entertainment either. King Solomon basically had unlimited access to sex. In verse 8, it says he has a harem, which is a bit of a gross thing, but it's a crew of ladies whose job it was to make a man happy. And in 1 Kings, it says that he had over 1,000 wives and, and prostitutes um, who were there for that. Now, that's not a very nice thing, and God actually judges him for that. He's done the wrong thing there. But this was his reality. That was what he was doing with his life. He's the ultimate pleasure seeker. Party, sex, money, huge buildings, all this stuff. He had it all. He didn't hold back at all. You just can't imagine how much indulgence he just went for. Verse 10 sums it up. Listen to verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And that was the reward for my toil. Doesn't deny himself a single thing. If he wants it, ask for it, it's his. Now notice the moral of the story in verse 10. It doesn't say, I did all this stuff and, and I didn't have any fun. It doesn't say it wasn't fun. He says that his heart delighted in it. So he had some fun along the way. I'm not saying fun's not fun. He had fun. But look at where it ultimately got him in verse 11. Yet, 
when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I'd toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. There was no point to it all. It was like, woo! It was like, it was like chasing after the wind. You ever seen someone chase after the wind? They look like a crazy person because you can't catch the wind, right? He's saying all of that in the end was as pointless as chasing after the wind. That's his summary of pleasure. Guys, there's a bunch of problems with serving this idol of pleasure, a bunch of problems. And we've seen this again and again this week, actually. First one is the most important one. It does make the God of the universe furious. He's a jealous God. He hates idols. But secondly, pleasure's meaningless. There's another big problem. It's meaningless. It's temporary. You have it. It's fun. And then it's gone. And it's over. And once it's over, it doesn't mean anything. And you're just left with this hope that somehow maybe next time the buzz will stick around and we tell ourselves that. But it just doesn't. And here's the third problem with this idol. What happens when life just actually isn't that fun anymore? We're not all King Solomon. And even for him, this guy, it actually it goes bad for him as well, the Bible tells us. If fun is all you have in this life, what are you going to do when life gets really hard? And the fun stops. If you build your life on fun, you'll be left with nothing. And people like to visit theme parks. Theme parks are fun. They're a good place to, to visit for a day. But no one wants to live in a theme park. It just feels plastic. It, it, there's, there's no point. Imagine if you lived here and so you kind of start off and you're like, this is the best. I'm going to go on this ride. And you jump on and you're like, whee! Or maybe like, ah! But you do it, right? And you're like, that was so good. That was great. I'm going to do it again. And you're like, whee! Ah! And then you get off and you're like, that was pretty good. I don't, like, there's no real point. I guess we could just do the ride again. And you're like, whee! Ah! And you go on your ride and, you, and, you, and eventually it's just like, this isn't that fun anymore. And now you're just sitting in a chair going around and around. Like, there's no point. It just is fun. And then you get off and you're like, what's, what's the point of my life? To ride roll? There's nothing to it. If you build your life on fun... It's meaningless. Now, before we look at the solution to this idol of pleasure, and we're going to do that, I want us to work out some places where this idol may be lurking in our lives. Uh, stuff that's not actually sinful, not stuff where you like flick to Romans chapter 17 that doesn't exist and it'll say, don't do this. It's not going to be that kind of stuff, but it's the kind of stuff that's good in and of itself, but when we turn it into an idol, then suddenly we're dealing with a much bigger thing. <clears throat> is gaming, video gaming, an idol for you? And when I have the chance, I love a sneaky Xbox sesh. It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. But for many of us, I reckon gaming could actually be our God. See, here's one obvious way you'll know if gaming is an idol. Here's one way. We serve our idols with our resources, our time, our money, those sort of things. Now, I hear people complaining Man, I never have enough time to read the Bible. I just can't do it. I'm never going to work this in a week. Who could do that, right? And I go, yeah, that sounds tough. But then I hear those same people talk about how they blew like 100 hours on Fortnite, right? And it's like, it sounds like you've got a little bit of time there. Um, think about this. If you're a gamer, think about this. I'll think about it as well. I did. I already thought about it. Um, think about how many games you own or have played where you've probably spent accumulatively over time like at least 70 hours on that game. 
Lots of games would have a campaign that runs for 70 hours, right? So I, I know a bunch of you are in this boat. I've done this before as well. Do you guys know how long it takes to read through the Bible from cover to cover? 70 hours. 70 hours. I wonder how many of us have read through the Bible from cover to cover, not just sit down and do it all at once. But So what does the way you spend your time tell you about what you're worshipping? And if it isn't gaming... There's other stuff that we love to sink our time into too, isn't there? There's social media, there's Netflix, there's music, whatever it is. Where you spend your time says a lot about your priorities. Now, what do you do if you think you found an idol here? What do you do? Well, maybe that means, just maybe, maybe it means you need to quit altogether. If God really is number one, maybe it means you need to consider quitting altogether. Maybe you really need to cut back. Maybe you might consider um, a detox from gaming, a little bit like going on a fast from, from gaming. You, you stop for a while. So maybe you'll go, that's it. I'm not going to game for two weeks. I'm going cold turkey, no gaming. I'm having a complete break. And then maybe after doing that, you might find yourself in a place where you could pick it up again, maybe, and it'll be a healthy hobby for you, but not an idol. And if you're sitting there going, well, that sounds like a good idea, but I just do not think I could do that. What does that show you? It shows you that all the more you probably should consider doing it. If you could never stop gaming, or whatever the other thing is, maybe you need to consider giving it a break. Secondly, is sport an idol for you? This is a big thing for me. Do you put sport in the place of God? It could be a team sport, netball, footy, basketball, whatever. It could be a solo thing, skating, surfing, whatever. Now, you might spot this idol by the time you spend on it. So you look at how much time you sink into it, same as video games. But you may also spot this by the decisions you make about sport and your Christian priorities. I reckon I'm about to say some stuff that in Australia is controversial because we worship the idol of sport in Australia. Now, when sport clashes with youth or church or something like that, who wins? Now, you need to get this. It's not automatically sinful and wrong when someone goes and plays their footy grand final instead of coming to church or something like that. And we need to make sure we don't have a culture where we're just judging anyone who's not in the room because they missed youth that week or something like that, right? That, be mindful of that. But what's the consistent pattern for you when, it, when sport and, and, and church commitments clash? Who's always the winner? You want to think about that. I talk to a lot of people who say, I want to do this youth thing, or I want to serve in this ministry, I want to whatever, I want to commit to this thing, but I've got this sport commitment, and so I can't, I can't do it. Now that's true, you do have a clash there, you have a real clash, but who's forcing you to make that commitment next year? It's probably good to finish a commitment if you start it, don't bail on a team or something, but next season when you sign up to do soccer or netball or cricket or whatever it is, and you know it's going to force you to miss Bible study for another year because you'll be there instead of committed to this other stuff. Who's forcing you to sign up to that? No one. And guys, sport is great. Sport is an awesome thing. It's a good gift from God. It's fun. It's good for you. It's an important part of life. You'll meet people there. You can share the gospel with. But don't put it above God because it isn't God. Us Australians, we've got to get this. I've got one more example for you. Just give me a sec. Is it pretty smoky in here or is it just smoky here? It is smoky. I'm sorry. 
it'll be worth it. We'll see how we go. All right, bear with me. If you've got asthma and you need to go get air, please go do that. All right, is friendship an idol for you? Is friendship an idol for you? Friendship's a wonderful gift from God. It's a God-given thing, but don't worship the gift. Worship the God who gave it to you. Now, are friends the thing that determine whether you're happy or not? How do you cope when your friendships in life aren't going well? Would you sin so that you could keep your friends happy and impress them? Would you be willing to give up some friends because you knew they were pulling you away from God? It's a good, good few questions to ask. Now, all this stuff we've already talked about, these things are good, but they're not God. And when we make them into God, it, it angers the God of the universe. Now, guys, Solomon's shown us here that when you live for pleasure, it is totally meaningless. Think about how stupid it would be to live for a temporary thrill, a, a thing that's there and then it's gone, and give up the eternal God of the universe. It's just not worth it. It's not a good swap. Now, how do you deal with this idol of pleasure? I said... I reckon there's at least three reasons, we said it before, why this is such a, a bad idol, right? Why it is such a big deal, it's a bad idea. Number one, it makes the God of the universe angry. Number two, it's meaningless once the pleasure's over. And three, life isn't always going to be fun. What happens when it gets really hard? So there's the problem. Get this, Solomon worked out by the end of his book what the meaning of life is. He actually, he got there. Um, Geordie, if you're in seniors, Geordie showed us this earlier in the week. He talked about the Cotton Eye Joe framework. So where did you come from? Why were you made? And where's it all going, right? And juniors, I'm sorry, but it was fun. But come to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and see this. Come to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the end of the book, <clears throat> and see our rescue from the idol of pleasure. Chapter 12, right at the end of the book, verse 13, right at the end. He's finished his experiment. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. He says this is every single person on the face of the planet's job. Fear your creator. Know him. Know where you've come from. And live with him as, as the king in your life. Now... Why does that matter so much? Why does it matter that we know the Creator and, and live in light of that? Well, look at verse 14, because of where we're headed. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. God will judge who? Everyone. He's the judge of the whole world. And Jesus says in the New Testament that the result of that judgment will be eternal life or eternal death, eternal separation from God. And so here's why what life is not meaningless. Here's why our actions now matter. They always do because it is an eternal judgment to come. And so when you understand who created you and where life is headed, you're rescued from meaninglessness. But guys, judgment, which is where, where Solomon gets to, judgment is not all there is to it. Because Jesus changes everything. Here's the third and last thing to see tonight. We need to replace temporary pleasure with an eternal hope. Come to 1 Peter chapter 1, where we read our last Bible reading from. 
1 Peter chapter 1. Come over there. This is going to fill out what Solomon's began to work out in Ecclesiastes. Life isn't meaningless because there's a God who will judge and because there's a God who offers eternal hope. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Come with me. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and His great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's good news. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Uh, this inheritance, where's it kept? It's kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that we revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. First of all, see our rescue. We have mercy through Jesus' death, through his resurrection. We're given new life. God's anger is dealt with. It's the best news in the world. But Christians aren't people who are just saved from hell. It's not like we just get to escape hell and that's it. Jesus gives us an eternal hope for the future that has meaning. Look at verse 4. It says we have an inheritance. It's a thing set aside for you that you're going to get in the future that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Nothing can touch it. Nothing can get in it. It's kept in heaven for you. And so after being rescued from the idol of pleasure, there's the replacement. There's the thing you put in its place, an eternal, an eternal untouchable, bulletproof hope. And so stop living for now, stop living for pleasure now, stop living for everything now, now's not the main event. Now is not actually the purpose of life. Now's the time to be saved, now's the time to see others saved and find that hope too, because there's something coming that's going to last forever. And so don't live for a cheap thrill now and get sucked in by pleasure and miss out on real pleasure for all eternity in heaven. Replace the idol with a future hope. And here's the last thing to see, guys, in verse 6. Our eternal hope means that if the fun stops, it doesn't matter. That's okay. See, sometimes life can be really hard. A whole bunch of you guys went this afternoon to a seminar by Steph, and it was awesome, and you were hearing about mental health and all sorts of hard stuff in the world. And I take it you probably went there because you've worked out this life can be pretty hard. I know you guys, I know many of you and your lives and you've shared with me what's going on for you and man, it seems like it is a hard time to live in this world right now as a teenager. The world is a crazy place. If you put your hope in pleasure, if you try and hide in pleasure, if you try and hide away from this world and hide in pleasure and just try and have fun and pretend it's not there, it's not going to cut it. It won't satisfy, it won't bring meaning, it'll leave you feeling empty. And so instead of running away from the hard stuff, look at verse 6. In all this hard stuff, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Because we know that heaven is coming, guys, we can rejoice in hard times now. And so it doesn't matter how bad stuff gets now, how little pleasure you can find, we can rejoice in the thing that's coming, no matter what your circumstance. I remember sometimes I hated school so much. I'm there and I'm supposed to be doing my thing, but I just hated it. I just wanted it to be over. Um, and I, like homework was you know, sucky, friends were annoying, whatever, lots of bad stuff going on. But I remember 
those times at the end of the, of the year where the summer holidays are so close. And it's like, I still kind of hate school and this is really hard and I don't like it. But in like two days, I'm going to be on holidays for six weeks. And this stuff won't matter then. And, and in those times, it gave me perspective and it kept me going. Now, our hope of heaven is a little bit like that. But the time frames are way different because, because this life's a bit longer than one week. But man, eternity is a lot longer than a six-week holiday and it's a lot better as well. And so if you're a Christian, you've got this bulletproof, untouchable hope that's kept in heaven for you. And so pain and sickness and depression and anxiety and split up parents and loneliness and a bad breakup with that person, all that stuff's going to hurt. It's not going to not be a thing. It's real. It hurt. It, it brings pain, but it can't touch the hope that you have in Jesus. It can't get at it. Everything in this life is, is vulnerable, isn't it? All the other stuff in this life is vulnerable. So friends can leave you. Sports can end in injuries. Partying can get boring. Nothing, nothing can touch the hope that you have stored in heaven, your inheritance in heaven. It's so good. Now guys, I want to finish our time in this series tonight by doing something a bit different. So step back from in the series, right? It could be that this week you guys have seen some big idols in your life. And I think for most of us, we've probably seen something. It's been a good time for me. Get this, Jesus has rescued you from God's judgment. He's rescued you from your sin. But I think we all really need to do some business with God. We need to bring some of this stuff to God. And so there's stuff that I'm, maybe you've seen this week where you've worked out, there's an idol there. Could be sex, could be love, could be money, could be job, could be whatever. Maybe it's something you haven't touched on at all. Tonight, I want to challenge us to be done with those idols, to get rid of them. Now, to do that, we're going to have a bit of fun. We've been choking on the smoke for this whole time, but we're going to have a bit of fun together. Tonight, we're going to burn some idols. I've got some fires out there ready to use. Now, <clears throat> I want, I want, actually, I want to show you guys one pretty fun thing real quick before we do this. Do you guys know what, um, what Moses did when he came down the mountain and found Israel worshipping that golden calf that we heard about? I hope you do. It's pretty cool. Moses comes down the mountain. He's furious. God is furious. Listen to this. Listen to this. Exodus 32, verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tables out of his hands and he broke them into pieces at the foot of the mountain and he took the calf that the people had made, the idol, and he burned it in the fire. But he didn't stop there. Then he ground it into powder and he scattered it on the water, and then he made the Israelites drink it. Whoa. Now, it's a bit of a funny story, but it actually shows the seriousness of our idols and how we should treat them. Now, no one's going to be drinking any of your idols tonight, all right? We're not even going to burn any real idols. Um, but I thought, I thought I'd like us to do something physical together, as some symbolism together. And so here's what we're going to do. I think some paper's coming around now already where you guys are standing. I want you guys to take some time, start thinking now, the paper's coming to you, start thinking and write something down on that paper just for you, just between you and God, no one else is looking at what everyone else is doing, you're just worrying about yourself and have a think about this. What idols have you been convicted of this week? What things do you know need to change in life? What has God put on your heart this week? So keep listening, stay focused guys, don't worry about the paper, it's coming to you. 
gaming, sport, friendship, money, sex, anything, love. Now, it could be as you sit there thinking, you're like, actually, I don't know what I'd put on this. I haven't seen it. You don't have to make up something, right? So if you've got nothing, that's cool. But I think for most of us, there'll be something there. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some time, spend some time reflecting, thinking, and write down an idol that you, you know you need to be done with. Take some time where you are to do that, where you are. I'll give you a minute to reflect, pray, and write, but we're going to do this quietly. If you don't want to participate, you don't have to, but please just be quiet and chew where you are, get some paper, and work out what needs to be done with. Yes, Jacob. Oh, you're just putting up your hand. Sweet. Cool. Take a minute. Remember, this is between you and God. No one's looking at everyone else's stuff. You're doing your own thing. And guys, I want to say this is for us as leaders as well. Um, Sound guys, if you want to get in on this, please come and join us. Just anyone who's keen, reflect, write something down. If you've got spares with you, pass it to the edges of the aisles and they'll share it around as well. Take another minute to keep thinking. If you've already written what you're going to write, don't start talking. Maybe spend some time praying. Don't start talking. Spend some time praying on your own. Okay, guys, um, if you need to take a bit more time to finish before you go out, you can. But what, what we're going to start doing in a bit, just not everyone at runs, but just a few people start to, in a minute, start to get up and head out to the fires. This is between you and God. Almost everything we've done this week has been together. So we sing, we talk, we listen together. This is a moment for you to reflect and between you and God, work out what needs to happen in your life. So keep it to yourself. You can scrunch it up once you've written on it. And we're going to file out and we're going to go chuck some of our paper idols symbolically into the fire. And then after a bit, we're going to come back in. So go out when you're ready, do that, spend some time praying and come back in in a few minutes and we're going to sing. Let's do it. Stay nice and quiet. If you want to talk to anyone, talk to God. If you want to just go and stand out there, do that. Don't talk. No, no, don't show me. You go do it on your own. That's all good.
Okay, if you can hear me out there, guys, some of you are done, and so some of you can start coming in. Others need a bit more time, so keep taking your time, and in a couple minutes, we're going to sing. Hey guys, I'd love to just keep this still as a quiet time where you keep reflecting. And so keep quiet and just enjoy a bit of quiet. Hey guys, as you're coming in, we'll still just stay quiet and keep reflecting. Hey guys, as you come in, we'll stay quiet and we'll just take this time to keep reflecting. You might want to keep praying. So head in quietly. Yeah, actually do start. Do start. Do start. Okay, guys, some of you are still finding seats, but you can do two things. So listen as you find your chair. And just think about this for a second. One of you guys really helpfully just came and asked, and they're like, so if I chuck this in the fire, does that mean I'm like never doing this thing again? And you've got to realize this. Idols look different for different things. And so if you've just gone out there and you're like, I'm done with drunkenness, and you've chucked that in the fire, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be perfect and you're never going to sin in that way again. Um, But I think what you're doing there is you're making a commitment to seeking to obey God in that way. And maybe it'll mean you will never get drunk again. Hopefully it will. Um, But you're going to be fighting that sin. If you've gone out there and you've chucked video games in the fire, maybe you could healthily, happily play video games in the future. But you want to be doing that not as an idol that you worship, but enjoy it as a good gift from God. So it looks different for different things depending on what you're doing there. Now we're going to sing in a minute, but I want to put all this in context for us. We have a powerful God who hears our prayers and he loves to respond. And and a bunch of you have been spending some time praying and asking him for change and growth in your life that he'd help you deal with the idols in your lives, that you've made commitments to fight these idols that lurk in your hearts. But you've got to get this, guys, this doesn't end tonight. In some ways, for many of you, it might be the start of something big, but it's not going to end tonight. And tonight isn't going to magically free you from your sin. It won't do that. Um, There's still going to be idols in your life for the rest of your days that are going to compete for your love and compete for your worship. And we're all going to have to continue to fight that and and seek to worship the one true God for the rest of our lives. I said a couple of years ago at FAT that growing in godliness is a little bit like walking up stairs using a yo-yo, right? If the yo-yo is how you're going, it's like we're a bit up and down 
but overall, altogether, we're moving upstairs, and we're on a good trajectory overall, even though some days you feel pretty low and some days you feel pretty up. So there's going to be ups and downs, there's going to be failures, there's going to be letdowns, but the trajectory of the Christian life is growth still, and that's what you're committing to here. Now, tonight may have been a really big night for you, right? Hopefully, you'll look back on tonight in years to come and be like, that was a, that was a big moment for me. Um, but it doesn't end tonight. And so, guys, there's space tomorrow in G-Teams to talk about what you've done tonight. You can talk about what you might have chucked in the fire t- tomorrow if you'd like. But you need to make plans to grow and change and see God work in your life. And so be praying for each other. Um, and next week and next month and next year, keep working on this stuff. Um, tonight's maybe the start of something great, um, but you need to commit to following the true and living God for the rest of your lives. Now, we've got a mighty God who loves us, and he sent his son to die for us, and that same God lives in us by his Holy Spirit, and God promises that he'll work in us by his Spirit to change us and grow us, and so in all of this, this isn't about what we're going to do on our own. It's actually what God is doing through us as he works through our decisions and through moments like these, And so let's stand and sing praises to the mighty God.